1: As a professional welder, Shana Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
0: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
1: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acne. I'm so excited about this episode today. I'm here with Dr. Megan Rice, who is an amazing therapist that works with Talkspace. So hey, Megan, how's it going?
0: (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for coming on.
1: There's so many questions that I have for you. So many questions that our listeners have for you. But to get started with a little bit of your background, how old are you and where are you from?
0: How old am I? I'm gonna be 37 this year in December. I was born and raised in Colorado. I am a military spouse though. So we have like literally gone all over the world. We just got back from France. We currently live in Tucson, so hot all the time. It's just now starting to cool down, which is nice to <laughs> embrace, embrace the fall and the cooler weather, the pumpkins, all the things, the spices. And I have uh, grown into this couples counseling niche over time. And so I've been in the field now for about a decade in totality. I've recently started to morph over into the couples counseling realm within the last five years or so. So I've had plenty of time to kind of dive into these tricky waters of like, okay, what is it like being a mill spouse and traveling all over the world and, you know, doing all of these things and maintaining a healthy partnership? and navigating that when you add kids to the spectrum. So um, it's just kind of gathered momentum as I've gone along. And a lot of people, I think, have benefited from these different tips, tactics, tools that I've had over the years, you know, develop over the years. And now in this spot, they've been able to actually teach me a lot too. So I think we've just uh, combined lanes together, a little bit of my therapeutic knowledge and expertise in the couples realm. And then a couples partners also teaching me a lot about what's been working for them. What's the best modality that they've had thus far. So a nice combo at this point.
1: I love that. And it definitely answers my next question, which was going to be, what's your current relationship status? I have to ask because I don't think we've ever had a, a military person or spouse on the podcast before. So did you know this going into your relationship?
0: I did. Yeah. We met in Colorado Springs. He is currently an A-10 pilot for the U.S. Air Force. And we're stationed in Tucson. We met when he was stationed in Tucson the first time. We've we've since then traveled around the world, like I said. Um, but we've landed in this spot with my full knowledge that he was in the military from the start. So <laughs> I just uh, jumped along in his journey with him. And uh, now since then, we, we have had two kids. We have Irish twins, three and four. And um, he is currently the commander of a test wing at Davis-Monthan in Tucson. So still still military, <laughs> military from That's the start, still awesome. military now.
1: That's awesome. And I have to ask you because we um, are a little bit into astrology on the podcast. When is your birthday?
0: December 16th. I'm a Sagittarius. You're Sag. So you must love <laughs> all the travel. I love all the things, all the excitement, all the you know. Rolling stones gather no moss. Essentially, totally. yeah. Always up for new things.
1: That's so interesting. So I want to get into kind of how you began with your journey to be, I guess, become a therapist, and and what that looked like for you. What made you decide to get a license and and become a therapist?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I was born and raised in Parker, Colorado, and so, you know, kind of rural uh Town, you know, there are lots of acres and land and we had horses and and that type of thing. And I felt like I was missing something, I think in that childhood, you know, we did all the fun things, barrel racing and, you know, sports and activities and our schools were great. But I always felt like I was missing something in terms of like how another portion of the world lives or, you know, how other people struggle or what their issues are, or maybe there's, you know, some degree of adversity that, you know, isn't sitting well with them. I was just always curious about helping people, helping people in the spot that they're at, but not people like me. I wanted, I wanted other people. I wanted more of a global view. And I eventually got a job working in a prison, honestly. And it was super, uh, mind blowing, mind opening in the sense of like, Okay, there, there's different people in this world in comparison to how I was raised. And I'm just really interested in knowing how they operate, you know, what they think mm. about, what their belief structures are, what their perspectives are, and you know, how they live their life, you know, what what decisions they're making, you know, that leads to the best version of them versus what decisions that they're making that kind of you know create more hurdles or more obstacles for them. And I think it was in that spot that I was like, yeah, I mean, this this is kind of where I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like I'm able to offer a different lens to a completely different group of people. And they seem to benefit from it in the same way that I'm benefiting from the knowledge and the learning opportunity, the experience as an exchange. Just like I said, you know, with couples counseling today, it's now my clients are teaching me a lot about what works for them Mm -hmm. in the same way that I'm offering them, Hey, I, you know, I've, these other couples and here's what I've learned works for them. And so it was the shift. And honestly, I chose that as an undergrad and, um, I have done psychology all the way through my doctoral program. So I never had like a doubt in my mind as to like whether or not I was on the right track. Um, it's always felt super positively reinforcing for me.
1: I love that. And I have to ask, like, because you've now done couples therapy a bit, What is the most surprising thing that you have learned when it comes to couples? Like, let's say, for example, like that it's okay for couples to, I don't know, not want to sleep in the same bed, or maybe you've learned that introverts and extroverts don't work, or maybe you've learned that, you know, this is the one thing that will make sure a relationship doesn't work or, you know, things like that, if there are any themes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> where, where do I start? Let me just uh, you know, pull out my scroll here. The biggest thing that comes to mind, and this has kind of been a running theme more recently. So I feel like it's it's more shareworthy, is this overwhelming sense of couples being successful when there's a higher degree of loyalty. And when I say loyalty, I'm talking about this agreement that just says, even if we're not getting along, even if we're fighting all the time, even if there's something in our relationship or our partnership that is really rocky and in a really bad spot right now, I still choose you and I still choose to show up. My couples who just show up make leaps and bounds amount of progress independent from what the issue is that kind of brought them to couples counseling in the first place. They are accomplishing leaps and bounds because of that extra layer of loyalty that that says two people are showing up at the same time, wanting to be better Mm -hmm. or create a better dynamic between each other. So yeah, loyalty is, is just one of those things that's really standing out right now. Also this willingness, and I think this is along the same lines of the loyalty idea is this willingness to be transparent. And so when I say transparent, I'm talking about the social media culture, right? You know, where we're posting everything all the time, you know, what we're eating for breakfast or, you know, what we're doing in the afternoon or what we're doing with kids or relationships on the weekends, that type of thing. Kind of like this chronic advertisement of what's going on in our lives, I really encourage couples or partnerships to, if you are going to have a social media presence, that you are transparent in your advertisement, right? So if you are in a partnership, you know, let's make sure to have posts that involve your partner. If you are, you know, happily married and have a family and have that kind of family culture going on, let's advertise that current condition that you guys are in. I think there's a lot of, okay, posting or advertising yourself as a single person or advertising yourself as available. And I think the world kind of gets a hold of that and says, okay, there's room to kind of wiggle in there. There's room to, you know, cause issues in that relationship. The door is open. I just like to, to close the door, right? Like make it as wholesome and transparent as possible.
1: That's so interesting because, you know, that argument comes up a lot when people will reach out to me and they'll be like, you know, my boyfriend doesn't post me on Instagram. Is that a red flag? And it's so easy to be like, that's a juvenile thought. That's silly. That's ridiculous. But when you say it the way that you just said it, it's so like validating to all those people because it's like, It's not even like, why won't you post me? It's like, why won't you advertise what your life is actually like and and how that includes me? So it's really interesting that you say that. And I wonder, um, just like talking about Talkspace a little bit more because we've been working with Talkspace to support the podcast for a while and I'm so grateful to have them as a partner. And it's like such an alignment because I've, I, all I do is talk about how everyone should go to therapy. But I'm curious on like how it actually works, right? Like, especially if you're a couple who's coming to you, like who communicates with you? Is it one person in the couple? Like, can you break down the process of it for
0: us? Certainly, would love to. Yeah, I think Talkspace is the best thing that ever happened, but, you know, obviously I'm biased, <laughs> but... So if you are a couple coming onto Talkspace, you can expect to have a room. And so one of the members of the partnership creates the room. And then the second member of the partnership joins the room. So you actually get a room together where both parties are invited. And you're encouraged to use the room as a client 24-7, right? So you can, you can message in that room. Both partners can message in that room as much as often as they want to. I have a lot of clients where like something will come up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, on a, on a Saturday or a Friday night. And they're like, ah, you know, like this just can't wait. I have to get this thought. I, I have to, you know, convey this message to my therapist. They just put it in the room. I, uh, you know, I have my notifications turned off at night, but when I wake up for the next business day to kind of chat with them again, all of their like instant thoughts are there. Mm. How in this, HIPAA compliant room. So everybody gets to talk in the room. And I try to make, as a couples therapist myself, I try to make a conscious effort to create A rotation. So let's say the first member of the partnership goes first and kind of shares the different things that are going on. Then I really encourage the second partner to kick in, share their lens, their angle as to what's going on. And then I'm the third party that kicks in. So I wait until both parties share and then I kick in with my therapeutic spiel. You know, we can make theories and connections, we can talk about childhood histories, that type of thing. But I'm the last one in the triage essentially to kick in. I am checking in Monday through Friday. So you can expect to hear from me one to two times a day during the business week. And then we take evenings off, obviously, for self-care and reflection in the same way that we do weekends. You'll hear from us the next business day. So if there's a holiday, we'll skip that. And then we'll go right back into the next business day. With our couples plans on Talkspace, you also get live video sessions. So you'll get a 30-minute live video session with me, just like this format, you know, a Zoom or a Skype or a FaceTime format. And so we actually get to break down all the different things that we discuss throughout the week in our, you know, our casual... Roughly 10 or so minutes a day is spent exchanging messages Monday through Friday. And then we get to wrap it up nicely with a 30-minute live video session. So clients really like the flexibility. You can show up in your PJs if you want to. I mean, I, I don't care. Bring all your animals. You know, I have pets that are jumping on the screen and, you know, knocking cameras over and stuff. And I like clients to feel like they can just show up as they are, show up in the setting. One person can log in from one location, another partner can log in from another location if you want to, but we're are all on the screen at the same time to do a live video session and check up on all the different messaging that we did. So it feels like a nice rhythm. It feels like a good spot for clients to be able to get out things as it comes up and then also feel like they're accomplishing certain treatment goals and objectives that we've mm-hmm. outlined together, right? So like determining a metric for their progress over time.
1: And... This is a this is a good question that actually someone else submitted, so I can't take credit for it. But what's the best piece of advice that like you've heard yourself give where you were like, oh, that was good? I don't know where that came from, but like I'm really happy I said that because I really stand by it.
0: Best piece of advice. So I think I'll I'll just take another recent example because I feel like this has kind of resonated with a lot of different couples that I've seen. This idea that says we can have very different perspectives in life. We can almost be on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of our perspective, our lens on the world. But what matters is that when we discuss these opposing sides, communication is obviously a huge issue Mm -hmm. (laughs) amidst partnerships and relationships. But when I think about this discussion about being on completely opposite ends of the spectrum, I'm interested in how you do that. Hmm. I'm not interested in what the what topic on either side at all. I'm interested in how that merger happens, right? So I'm interested in paying attention to tone changes or facial expressions or laughter, sense of humor, uh, your your flexibility in your thinking. Ownership is a big one that I'm looking for in terms of how we're exchanging this information. Are you willing to own the things that are dysfunctional or that aren't in alignment with kind of the values of the relationship? Are you willing to align with your partner. Can you say without a doubt, like, Hey, I'm here in this moment, having a really hard conversation with you where I don't agree with you at all, but I still choose you. I still choose you in our partnership and I love you and I care for you and I want to be here. And I can't imagine anyone else in my life, uh, you know, other than you amidst this conversation. So I am looking at the how, how we are breaking these conversations down rather than the actual topic. And I think that helps clients feel that they can really think and feel whatever they want. You know, obviously there's some bounds there, but less concerned about trying to fit themselves within a box, you know, a box that isn't them, a box that isn't transparent or authentic and more concerned about paying attention to body language, you know, verbal cues and nonverbal cues in the same way. And this how of a presentation, you know, thinking of it like a theater performance in a lot of ways where like we're, we're looking at the, the dynamics of how it's exchanged, I think feels free to them. I f- think it feels freeing.
1: Yeah, that's such a good point. Just like the how and I feel like, you know, I was a bit of a serial monogamist before I got engaged and, and I'm now with my fiance, but the communication in all relationships like prior was very... In the fighting aspect, was always like so toxic, and it was just it was bad fighting. And it's like now in this healthy, good relationship that I'm in, the fighting and I wish I wish I didn't say the word fighting. I wish there was a better word for it—the arguing or like disagreeing, right—is yeah. done in such a tactful way that more so on his end, obviously, than mine. Um, <laughs> but well, that I'm that I'm like 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 last night we had a fight and i and i spoke about this on on a previous episode we're watching this this show that like you know everyone in the world is watching it's called squid game and you know i'm the kind of person that i like to pause the show and tell you my theory or my prediction right and he likes to watch the whole show and then discuss and like, it sounds so juvenile and it just sounds dumb, but like it, it actually, it's a bothersome situation, right? Because like, I feel like I'm being like silenced and shushed and I want to express my opinions and thoughts. And he feels like he's annoyed because he wants to experience the show. And so it's like this you know, actual, it becomes like this actual argument at the end of it. And I'm like, you know, I just don't feel like it's right, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of our argument, I'm like, wow. Like the one thing I know for sure is that we're both really good at like conveying our points, you know? And it's like, because neither of us like get nasty, there's not a win and lose. Like we're both like, like he expresses so clearly you know, his side. And then I express so clearly my side. And then all we can do is like hear each other. It's almost like you can't have a fight when you're both being so honest and expressive and open about how you feel. So I think that's a really, really good point that you make. It's like, it's all about the how in that way.
0: Love that. One of my couples at one point, they were having a really hard time, like understanding this logic, you know, it takes a while to practice, you know, and you have to have sometimes a professional help you navigate that. But they had said uh, the analogy they used was like, it's like, kind of riding a motorcycle together through a jungle, right? You know, there's all these external variables that are triggering us in any given times, but we have to keep remembering that we're like on this motorcycle together. So if one of us decides we're just going to bail and, you know, flip off the motorcycle, maybe that like creates an imbalance for the other part and they end up crashing, right? So just being mindful of this fact that we're like navigating these tricky waters together we're on the same team rather than thinking like we actually have to use the disagreement to create like a, a win or lose dynamic that doesn't help the relationship at all, honestly. And we don't walk away from that experience feeling like we've improved something or made the relationship better at all.
1: Right. And it's so easy to say like, like, for example, using my example, go find someone who doesn't talk during a show, you know, and it's like, (laughs) and it's like, that's not the point. Like the point is like, I've chosen you. So let's figure out a compromise on only pausing twice during a one hour episode or, you know, whatever it is. So let's talk a little bit more about dating and therapy. Would you say that Therapy can be helpful for a relationship if it's individual therapy, um, like if it's not uh, couples therapy or like could it be potentially harmful to the relationship if both partners aren't present and like you're primarily talking to your therapist about your relationship, but they're just getting your side, you know?
0: Yeah, I think um, different couples therapists have different approaches. My personal professional approach is that uh, I'm meeting with each of the partners separately. So we're doing an individual session separately from each other. And then just like I do in my messaging approach, I'll meet back up with them on the third session. It's all of us in the room. I am big on having each of the partners get their own time to share like their deepest, darkest things. Couples counseling, it kind of takes a while to get into like the really nitty gritty stuff. And sometimes we never get there because for the most part, we're trying to work on the how, like I said, the how with the body language and the verbal nonverbal cues. We're working on the how. So we're less interested in kind of the nitty gritty details, but we need to know about the nitty gritty details individually in order to know exactly what direction we're headed with the couple structure. So I really promote this idea that, hey, maybe we never meet up for couples counseling. I see both of the individuals individually and then I have both sides of the the story essentially and I can kind of help them navigate the relationship as a whole without seeing them in a couples counseling setting. But- I don't think we have wholesome relationships without being wholesome individually. I think we go into relationship as 100-100, not a 50-50 looking towards our partner to find happiness. So I think we need to stay in the individual mode with an individual therapist as long as we possibly need to, in order to feel wholesome enough to feel like the relationship would benefit, you know, ultimately from the couples counseling specific stuff, because we've already accomplished the individual stuff. Plus I have a lot of people that want to see me individually about their relationship because they're unsure about the relationship being the best fit for them. So that's not really a thing that I would want to reserve for a couple's counseling spot to decipher whether or not the relationship is good for one person. I want to talk to the individual in the individual setting to say like, okay, if we were to develop a list of all the things you think you're looking for in a significant other, and then we would put that list up against your partner that you have currently right now, would those align would you be kind of proud of this manifestation that you envisioned versus what you actually have right now are you are you content with that if you are then maybe we work on the couples counseling stuff but if you're not maybe that's a completely different discussion
1: that's very fair and in terms of like talk space you know you're being matched with this therapist and I would say like, you know, sometimes it's hard enough in person to decide if it's a good fit. I imagine if you're communicating like in technology, it's maybe even harder to know if it's a fit. Like what are some signs or things to look out for if it's not a fit with your therapist versus like if it is a fit?
0: Yeah, I think that's an amazing question. Luckily, there's so many therapists on Talkspace that you can choose from that you don't have to feel like the first therapist that you land on is the perfect fit for you, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you can transfer therapists as much as you need to or as little as you want to, depending on like the appropriateness of the fit. So just throwing that out there as a, you know, sky is the limit in terms of that search. What I tell clients to look for and what I hope they looked for when they land on me is someone who is within a similar life phase, just because I think there's a pretty big disconnect between someone who's going through like the the younger kid zone, right? Going through, you know, family planning and having that family culture and that vibe and and balancing younger kids. I think there's a very big difference between that therapist and the vibe they're going to have with their client in a similar life phase in comparison to someone, you know, maybe an amazing therapist, but maybe going through retirement, never had kids of their own or never really had kind of like that family culture vibe of their own and are feeling kind of removed from that stage of life. So it's not even like a a particularly biased view at all. It's just linking up with someone who can kind of relate to your experiences as you're going through them Mm -hmm. rather than like, trying to create a reflection on once was, or maybe not having that all together. So I, I do push for the similar life phase stuff. I also push for, and this may seem silly uh, to put out as a requirement or something to look for even rather, but a therapist that's willing to jump on board with the supportive piece, So right out of the starting gates, I think we can get the vibe and and I can see this with other therapists. I, I spend a lot of time helping therapists on Talkspace as well as seeing clients. And so I can see this in other therapists where like there's some therapists that are quick to jump on board with that support supportive, empathetic. I'm here for you in whatever way you need me. I'm going to show up in my raw transparent form. And I think there's other therapists that are a little bit more detached or a little bit more removed or a little bit more, I don't know, busy or distracted in that sort of way. But I think in order to build rapport, or which is the most essential part of therapy across the board, we have to have someone in a therapeutic sense and a therapeutic dynamic that is able to meet us where we're at and sit with us as we kind of unpack this junk that, that we're carrying. And all of us have junk, right? It's not specific to any, any totally. type of person. Yeah, we all have our junk and we just need to have the spot that we can unpack it free of judgment, free of distraction, free of detachment, free of all these other things going on. Mm. Um, just a, a therapist showing up in their form. And honestly, that goes back to, you know, what what to look for in terms of like couples and and guiding them and couples counseling is the the loyalty thing and the the showing up, the willingness to show up.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you just in terms of like, You know, something I've heard and definitely agree with is like, find somebody that has what you want, almost, right? Like, I don't know if I would do well with a therapist who like lives alone with three cats. Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, but that's not necessarily what I strive towards. And if I had a therapist that had, you know, a large family and their own career, like that is very relatable to me because I'm like, oh, I want those things. And I always say, like, don't take advice from someone unless you admire their situation, right? Like, I think we, we both know like the worst people to take advice from are like couples who you think should be divorced. Like don't take dating advice from a person whose relationship sucks. Like that's just not, it's just, it's not a good idea. And, and it's just so interesting that like some people don't see that, but it's such a simple, simple thing. And I think this is just, this is more for people who are single and interested in therapy. Like, I know the answer to this just from my own experience. But what would you say, as a professional, is like the benefit of understanding yourself and behavioral patterns? You know, what is essentially the benefit of having more self awareness as you're in the dating process to find the person that you want to be with ultimately?
0: Yeah, I think of uh, <laughs> my husband and I in our dynamic here uh, with the answer to this question, but it's it's not necessarily that we're going into a relationship free of baggage, right? So we're we're never going to individual uh, counseling to like achieve this magical thing where we're just like this perfect perfect being, right? And we have no issues. So we are going to be dragging along some baggage into every relationship that we will ever have. And it's less about whether or not we're going to be dragging baggage and more about how we're going to advertise our baggage when we get there. Right? There's plenty of couples that I've seen where they have baggage just like everyone else, but one or both parties in the couple structure are going into the relationship saying like, I mean, that's not a problem for me or, you know, I'm good. Or um, there's kind of a lack of ownership all the way around. Mm. So the, the baggage can't be unpacked. And it's not to say that we're trying to unload the baggage in the same way that we would unload on a therapist, but I think we have to unpack it enough to say like, okay, here's my thing. I'm actively working on it. Here's the here's the things that I'm doing to kind of counteract the baggage that I have. But I just think it's important for you to know that this is like a me-specific baggage thing rather than something that you need to personally absorb or something that I'm trying to intentionally put off on you as being your problem, right? Like here is my ownership right out of the starting gates. And so I think about this dynamic with my husband and I'm like, okay, so here's this thing I've got, right? You know, I've got like this funky funk building up. I'm prone to conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories are like my jam, right? So I bring these conspiracy theories to my husband and I say like, this has nothing to do with you. This is totally a me thing. All I need to do is like unload this thing. And I'm hoping for some support or feedback from you. And nine times out of 10, that's exactly what he does because I've been able to kind of offer that directive that says, you know, here's my self-awareness. I'm going to show you what I've learned about myself along the way. And I'm also going to show you what I plan on doing with myself along the way to make up for the fact that I have these things much more well-received than, yeah, I'm perfect and there's nothing wrong with me. And it's probably all of your fault.
1: Totally. And much more, you know, palpable than like the, this is who I am and you either take it or leave it. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I hear that when it comes to single friends of mine or, you know, people like it could, and it could be a problem that someone listening doesn't even realize is a problem. Like it could be that every date you go on, like you put them on a pedestal and you romanticize that they're your husband. And maybe that's what your problem is, you know, or... You never know until you do that deep dive into getting a little bit more self-awareness. And I really believe that there's no one that's like too good, quote unquote, for therapy. You know, those are probably the people that, that need it the most, I would say. Because it is a tool. It's a resource, you know? And I just think it's amazing. I really do. And I feel like we've covered so, so much when it comes to therapy, I'm just going to ask you like a few, like two more questions that people had submitted. Someone asked, what are common deal breakers that you see that make people break up?
0: Common deal breakers. I'd say the biggest one, and this is right in alignment with everything else that we've been talking about today, but the lack of ownership the, I'm going to go into every disagreement or every conflict or every moment of tension or every time I'm triggered or every time there's any sort of adversive thing going on in the world or with our relationship. And I am going to say like, it's not my fault and it's not my problem. Mm. And I have no insight as to how we're going to get through this because like, I don't play a role in this at all. You know, kind of like my my hands are washed of, of this particular thing and you kind of deal with it. So it's the shifting, the shifting of blame onto our partners most times. And we don't just see it usually within the partnerships. We see it more global too. Like people who have the tendency to blame other people, Carry kind of like this victim chip, I think, and they have the tendency to do that with most people, right? So in their job, they're the victim. In their relationship, they're the victim. In the the context of the world more globally, they're they're kind of the victim. So it's always the shifting and mm. never take ownership or responsibility. Huge deal breaker. The worst. Yeah. And I don't think I need to go into necessarily like the obvious ones, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, abusive dynamics, obviously abuse is defined in different ways through different people. Therapists can help us identify like what is truly abusive versus, you know, what just needs some, some work or some, some attention. One more deal breaker. Being sneaky and that's right in alignment with, uh, you know, this lack of transparency on social media and whatever way you're advertising the relationship. So just kind of doing things that are questionable that leads Mm -hmm. to our partners like wanting to get more in our business. The more they get in our business, the more they kind of like violate our privacy or our rights to kind of like be a little bit separate from them. Um, it just creates this volley back and forth of like, okay, the more secrets and the more, uh, you know, things that are questionable or the things that don't make any sense, the more a partner is going to intrude on our individual dynamic and create tension that way. You know, the, the more we dive deep into there, the the less loyalty or genuineness or trust that we have in the relationship.
1: Yeah, that's really helpful. What are the most common topics that men, and you can just say like two or three, that men come in to discuss?
0: Lack of sex. <laughs> mm. Nine times out of 10. Um, And, you know, sex is honestly a great metric too. So I think sex gets a bad rap for, you know, it being low in a lot of relationships, low intensity, low, low frequency, that type of thing. It's a great metric though, because a lot of my couples that are doing well have more sex than Mm. my couples who are not doing well. But I think the, the lack of sex is a really good indication of kind of your relationship status as a whole. And most of the time, it's not, like a medical thing most of the time it's some sort of unmet emotional intimate need that's obviously not being met on the the opposite partner's side and so the man is saying you know I'm I'm not getting sex but the the more global answer is okay both parties are feeling disconnected the man is registering it as a sex problem the female or you know the other partner in the relationship is registering it as an emotional disconnection problem so same problems of di- disconnection but but two very different approaches
1: and by the way that's very very helpful and, I, and i'm sure a lot of people will benefit from that answer I guess we'll end on this note because I I love the question. What's the single biggest thing that people should do to make themselves happier?
0: So I have four categories and I've learned about these four categories through different like self-help books that I've read over, over the years, pulling from Atomic Habits a lot of times. I absolutely love that book by James Clear. But There's this focus on four different categories in terms of getting closer to self-actualization, right? The the top of the pyramid. And it's the people that are focusing on their mind, right? So regular investments in their mind that says, okay, I'm going to think about how I'm perceiving this, or I'm going to think about my beliefs, or I'm going to be more mindful about the present moment versus the past or the future. So people that actively make that investment in their mind every single day, people that focus on their physical body, at least a little bit every single day, you know, go to the gym or group fitness or go for a hike or a walk or get outdoors or something to keep your body kind of moving and flowing and making that investment on our physical bodies. Also think about, you know, diet and lifestyle, what we're putting into our bodies and nutrition and and making sure we're fueling it instead of, you know, doing things that are taking away from its overall productivity. Think about relationships. People that are happy have all of these different community little nuggets of of resources and support and friends and family and activities and regular things on the calendar that are conducive to hobbies, passions, interests feeling like they have a place in the community feeling that they're valuable that their their life is purposeful in the way that they would envision and then the last category is having some sort of economic contribution in whatever way we define that you know it can be a stay-at-home mom i think there's plenty plenty of value and purpose and economic contribution that you have in that role you know making making good humans i feel like is a is a nice contribution to the world it can be you know a corporate executive it can be you know, going to school to better yourself and, and have a career, um, you know, that you're passionate about in the future. But we think about all these four categories every single day as, as putting in a little token of investment. And then I don't know if uh, you've read Blue Zones, but it's also, also one of my favorite books talking about what happens to the people that live the longest in the world. They have all these things, you know, they mm. have all of these things that they're regularly diving into in order to be happy people. And they're living, you know, over a hundred, it was a study of all the people who have lived over a hundred in the world. And so I'm just constantly like trying to find how these happy people are living, what they are doing every single day that's different than, than, you know, common knowledge or mainstream knowledge or what everyone else has got going on
1: hmm That's amazing. And I have a lot of reading to do after hearing <laughs> yeah. you. So thank you so much, Megan. Um, I guess the last tidbit is kind of like, can you leave us with like one last piece of advice?
0: Yeah, I think relationships are really hard, but all of us need them. So there is no human being on the planet that can just like live in a cave by themselves without any sort of like intimate romantic flair of a connection, Mm. right? So we we need each other in order to be these happy humans. Uh, The relationship category is one of the four for a reason, We need to have the connection. So my argument is that why can't we make that connection the best version of connection that we can, even if that means every single day gathering one new tidbit of something that we heard, you know, from a podcast or from a blog or from a journal or from our friends that care about us and love us some sort of little nugget that we can put towards this need for connection that we have in order to like create this most wholesome form of us individually that only overflows into the connections that we have with other people. So it's a daily investment, maybe in something little rather than feeling like it's this huge burden of something that we just need to accomplish one day in order to be the best version of ourselves. So baby steps day by day.
1: Thank you so much. I feel like this was a therapy session for me. So I'm glad (laughs) I got that out of it. Everyone who is listening, you should start feeling better with just a single message and sign up for Talkspace at Talkspace.com or you can download the app. And we have a code for you. It's ACME for $100 off your first month at Talkspace. So hopefully hearing this and hearing Megan's amazing advice will motivate you guys to go check it out. And thank you so much, Megan. We really appreciate having you on and you're awesome.
0: I'm so grateful. Thank you guys for having me and best of luck sending uh, all kinds of positive therapy vibes your way. Thank you.